Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Is it just me or when your attitude is going south fast, do you get tunnel vision? I get completely focused on how I'm feeling sometimes. I don't even realize that my attitude is affecting others. Unless you live alone and never leave your house, never interact with another soul on this planet, your attitude has great impacts. I'm often so wrapped up in my emotions that I don't see or don't care about the aftermath of what comes spewing out of my mouth or the not so subtle ways I let everyone around me know I'm not happy. Today, we're asking the second question in this series on communication and attitude. And that question is, what speaks my attitude to my spouse? And how does it affect our communication and our unity? Now, if you're ready to change the communication in your marriage, you're in the right place. You're listening to Vows to Keep Radio, the show where you get sound biblical counsel that you can apply immediately to your marriage. We're your hosts, David and Tracy Sellers of Vows to Keep. We're biblical marriage counselors, authors, teachers, podcast hosts, radio hosts, and conference speakers. Let's get started. There are three things that set out an attitude, and we've been talking about these over the last two episodes. What I believe, what I want, and what areas in my life that I am not being obedient to God's word. None of these are easy to change. None of this happens overnight. Our hearts are a constant work in progress if we let God have access. Most of the time, though, David, I don't even want to acknowledge that I have a wrong attitude because I feel I have a right to it or I believe it's going to get me what I want. Basically, I don't want God to have access. It's only when I begin to understand how my attitude affects my relationship with God, directly affects my relationship and communication with others, when my eyes are open to how my attitude trips me up and trips others up, that I become open to this conversation. Sometimes, though, I like to splash around in the muddy muck of my wrong attitude. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like I'm enjoying how I'm feeling. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm tired. I think you deserve how I'm treating you. I think you're annoying. I don't like this situation. And all comes out in my attitude, an attitude I'm not willing to change. David might say, hey, Tracy, here's what's going on. Here's what I see. But a lot of times I don't care. I continue down this road until I'm satisfied. Other times, I don't feel like there's any way out of it. My emotions feel like they're in control and I just follow them wherever they lead me. If that sounds like you, make sure you go back and listen to the first two episodes in this series, number 162 and 163. Whether you fit into one or both of these categories, our question is really two and and can be broken into two parts. So the first one is what speaks my attitude to my spouse? And the second is how does it affect our communication and that all-important unity? So let's look at the, the second part first. How does my attitude affect our communication and unity? We're going to do it this way because if we come to the conclusion that something needs to change, then we'll be ready to take a really close look at what actually speaks our attitude to our spouse. The last time you had an attitude that wasn't God-honoring, it didn't build others up, right? It wasn't Christ-like. But what were the ripple effects to your relationship? 
In other words, what were the consequences my spouse and my marriage paid because of my attitude? Things like fear, avoidance, isolation, maybe just walking on eggshells, working to please at all costs. Sometimes it's a a stopping of pursuing our spouse. Other times it's a bargaining and a power struggle. It's judgment. We cause them to stumble in sin either immediately because they are just reacting to your sin with more sin or over time because they see the hypocrisy. Many times it is a distancing of the friendship that we should have in marriage. It's a lack of physical and emotional intimacy. It is a change to the culture of our home. Sometimes these consequences, as I said, they're not instant, but most of the time, they're actually the result of years of us building up an attitude. It's like having a reputation with our spouse. We literally have programmed them to react in a certain way so that we can get what we want, or at least have those feelings validated by letting them know exactly how we feel. But our own selfish motivations have backfired. We may have won in the moment that justification, but we're losing the battle for communication in our relationship. We're losing unity. And often it's without even knowing it in that moment. Our attitude has planted seeds in our marriage, and we're now reaping a harvest of weeds, of hurt feelings, broken conversations, bickering, and so on. Galatians 6, 7 repeats what David just said. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man does reap what he sows. And James chapter 3 talks about this when it comes to being wise with how we live. Verse 18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So are we going to choose to walk in wisdom? James 3 also says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. The Bible is saying you get to choose how you live, wisely or unwisely. But there's a warning a few verses later in James 3.16. Wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Honestly, most of my bad attitudes have to do with selfish ambition of one sort or another. But I want to change. I want better communication and unity with David. I want to take a few minutes and flesh this out really working through what are the consequences of these wrong attitudes that I just listed and where do we need to plant seeds of peace and really reap a harvest of righteousness. This first one might not be something you've ever thought of as a fruit of a bad attitude, but it is, and that is fear. Your spouse might see your bad attitude and wonder just how far south is this going to go? I mean, they actually may know exactly how deep this hole is because they've seen it in you before. A hard-to-please tirade, a loud complaint that has escalated over and over until demands are met, even sometimes a more quiet response, but one that still has impacts. You know the kind, the silent, smoldering one, the big sigh, the slamming door, the days of uncomfortable silence. I'm talking about you making them pay. And this could be the cost of a continued bad attitude. Your attitude is, is getting worse, your retribution in a verbal way. We can make it so that our spouse literally fears us. Whether it's on purpose or not, have you done this? One thing that we may not have considered is that sometimes we literally give in to our spouse's demands because we fear 
that they may not give us what we want. Is fear a motivating factor in your marriage? Consider your attitudes. That fear may inspire the killing of communication. And that brings up another thing, David, that attitude can bring between us. It's avoidance. Is your spouse avoiding you because of your attitude? I think we have to consider the possibility that our attitude has broken communication because it's made our spouse not want to be with us. They either avoid us as much as they can, or they avoid ruffling our feathers on certain topics. The ironic thing is, though, the topics they're avoiding might be the very topics that are leading you to your attitude. You need to talk about them. Here's an example. You're frustrated that your husband will not spiritually lead, so bedtime with the kids is hard for you. You would love for him to step in and do devotions with them or at least pray with them, but he just won't. And this goes on night after night and your attitude starts to show how you really feel, even if you don't say anything or you don't say much. Your husband doesn't want to spend that time with the kids, or maybe he just doesn't know how to do it right in order to make you happy. So it's easier to just disappear behind the headphones, out to the garage, whatever. It might not be just that one circumstance, though. It may be that you've been taking a critical attitude or a put out attitude, or you've been super sarcastic about it. And that has made your spouse want to avoid you. The result over time of this avoidance is isolation. Two people with the same address, but no real unity. Well, this leads to something that's kind of similar. And that's that feeling of walking on eggshells. Where your spouse, knowing you better than anyone else on earth, is literally basing their decisions on how you're going to react with a wrong attitude. They know what to expect when you don't like the song that's on the radio or when you tell them that you double booked your family on the calendar this week or they find your dirty shirt on the floor again. The attitude from you isn't something they want to encounter, so what do they do? They tiptoe. You are reacting with out-of-proportion emotion. Now, it may take a few times of them receiving this bad attitude from you, but eventually, well, guess what? They might start picking that shirt up off the floor, but it's not out of love or respect for you. It is out of fear, like I talked about. Out of fear of what you might do or say if they don't. Now, what could be something that they might choose to do out of love for you, out of respect and really service to Christ, has literally become a self-protective move because of your attitude. And usually this is not limited to like one area of life, like you know how clean your house is. It becomes more and more widespread as the years go on. I bet you know what I mean. There are now new laws and your spouse is following them just so they don't stir up the waters. If your spouse is constantly apologetic, it's time to dig into it. Did an eggshell just get crunched in their mind and they're worried about what you're thinking? Are they wondering what kind of consequence they're about to pay if they don't apologize for something that wasn't even a sin? Are they apologizing so that they don't get your wrath? Are they saying they're sorry not because of what they did or that it was a sin, but because they broke your law? This leads to avoidance. I can't tell you how many married men I see go get a part-time job after they're retired just to have time away from their wife. They don't want to follow those laws. They don't have to follow those rules. Proverbs 25, 24 says it this way. It's better to live in a corner of a housetop than with a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 
Do you see your spouse working to please you at all costs? And that actually might not seem like a bad thing at first, right? That's why we got married. We wanted our husband or our wife to really go out of their way for the rest of their lives to love us with everything they have. I don't know about you, but I do not want David to work to please me because he feels like he has to. And I can usually tell the difference. If I have to demand my way, whether it's with my attitude, with my words, the gift is meaningless. It's like I'm buying myself an extravagant birthday present that David would never get me and then putting too crazy from David on the package. Meaningless, right? Yet we may still demand, even demand what we think will make us happy more because our spouses stop giving out of their heart. We can tell our spouse has stopped giving or they're only giving us the minimum. And we feel that we don't like it. We want to be given to. So we ask for more. We demand more just so we can have something from them and feel good about ourselves, even if we have to use our wrong attitudes to get it. Take a close look at your attitude and see if your spouse is doing this. Are they working to please you because you are demanding it? Has your spouse stopped pursuing you? Now, there's, there's lots of reasons for this, but it is a good thing for us to really have time with the Lord to see if there's an attitude that, that you've had, that I've had, that has squashed that pursuit. For example, maybe they've tried to please you, going out of their way to do something special, and you find fault with some part of it. Your negativity shouts loudly in their ears. Your attempt wasn't good enough. You are not good enough. It's the risk we take. If we're unpleasable in small ways, like when your husband makes a dinner and it's not cooked to perfection, or he says, I'll give the kids a bath and they they make a mess of the bathroom. How you respond in these very critical moments, the everyday little things, they are what make your spouse either want to pursue you or shy away from it. Let's talk about a couple more. When your attitude isn't God-honoring, It doesn't build your husband up. It isn't Christ-like. One of the ripple effects that you might see is bargaining. Your spouse sees that you want something. They might even recognize it isn't for your best, but they know if they give it to you, they can have what they want. They use your idol, the thing that has more control over you than God, to get their idol. It's an exchange with far-reaching implications. You are now supporting each other's sin to get yours. And it can all start with attitude, being led by our flesh, not by the spirit, like we talked about in the last episode of Vows to Keep Radio. It's our tendency to be self-pleasing and to use our attitude to get what we want. If there is a power struggle between you, it's worth looking at if it first started with a selfishly motivated attitude. Now, we just talked about one sin feeding off of another, but attitude is also a major planter of the seed of sin, especially for those around us. And this might be a new thought for you, but is your spouse reacting to your attitude with a sinful response? Now, if the answer to that is yes, they are still responsible to God for their reaction. But it's worth asking, are are we causing our spouse to sin, either immediately because they're reacting to our sin or over time because they see the hypocrisy? They understand that when you sin, it gives them license to do it too. If our spouse doesn't outwardly sin in response to our sin, they still might be tempted in judgment of you, which easily can be a sin in of itself. If we are in sin with our attitude on a continual basis, we will put our spouse in a very tough spot of choosing between judging us 
or helping us. If our attitude doesn't say that we want to be helped, which honestly most of the time our attitudes don't, then they're likely to choose judging us or isolation from us. If we're open to help, if we have a teachable, humble heart, especially when they come and talk about the the identification of a wrong attitude, that leads to a very positive change, not only in communication, but eventually to a great tight unity. If you're not willing to budge, your spouse is going to have a very hard time being your friend. When there's no friendship, there's not real intimacy. And before we know it, our attitude has completely changed the culture of our home. Now, David and I are not saying that attitude is the only cause of a lack of unity and communication between you, but we do want to ask you if you're willing to closely evaluate before the Lord each one of your attitudes and the repercussions they have on your marriage, because sin is never without consequences. What God is asking of me in his word is to bring reconciliation between me and my spouse as far as it depends on me. Like it says in Romans 12, 18, how do I do this? First, recognize the origin of my attitudes and ask God to forgive me if they're sinful. Because remember, our attitude doesn't just break our communication and unity with our spouse. It does the same thing with God. We can either serve God or sin, but we can't do both. It says so in John 8, 34. So which one have you been serving? I can see clearly that I've been a slave to my attitudes. It's like what James chapter four says. I've become a friend of the world, chasing after my own sinful passions. And that's made me an enemy of God. But that chapter goes on to say in verse six, but he gives grace generously. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Take some time with the Lord today and repent of your attitudes, every single one of them that is not Christ-like. If you need help zeroing in on what these might be, please take a few minutes to listen to the last two episodes in this attitude series because we break them down and we help you to do the same between you and the Lord and do the work of getting right with him. Your heart is going to change even in just taking that first step. You'll begin to desire reconciliation with your spouse, even if it seems out of reach. And that's next in this process. I need to go to my spouse and ask for their forgiveness. We've seen in what we've talked about so far today on Vows Keep Radio that we've made our spouse a slave to our sin too, or at very least our sin has created a distance between us and it's time to change that. It's time to release them from tiptoeing. It's time to not give the enemy the upper hand anymore. And we do that by coming to our spouse and naming specifically how we've sinned against them, how the repercussions of that have affected our relationship and asking them to forgive us. Don't shift any of the blame on them. Own your sin. Own your attitude. Be responsible for your part before the Lord. No matter how your spouse has even been treating you, there's work to do, but it's going to have some amazing impacts on the communication and unity of your marriage. So are you ready to take these steps? We are never just victims of emotion. We always have a choice. And we're going to be talking about this in the last part of our attitude series. You can find that on our website, vows2keep.com. Attitudes are like going to the grocery store. You have hundreds of choices to pick from every day. Not all of them are going to be healthy. You can't eat just right one time and say, yeah, that's probably good enough. You have to eat right every day. It can become a habit over time, but it is still a choice. 
I'm actually kind of glad that we have to choose the right thing again and again. Why? Because my rotten attitude, my stinking thinking drives me back to the Lord. It keeps me close to him, asking for his help, especially when there's a certain attitude that seems to have mastery over me. Now, if you feel like you can't get past a certain attitude that you know is sinful, I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 6 through 8. I can so relate with Paul in these chapters. The struggle is so real. There's also, though, great victory we can have in Christ. We get to pick the attitude that we will have. Now, if you're a Christian, you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us that. You can take your thoughts captive. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. You don't have to give your flesh what it wants. That's what too many of us have been doing, and the results are a broken down relationship. God, we want to stop this cycle. We're asking you to restore what we have broken with our sinful attitudes. Help us. Please help us to be more like you. As we wrap up today, let's ask the second part of that question then. What speaks my attitude to my spouse? How do I let them know, hey, this is what I want? I have blind spots I know when it comes to what my attitude is, so I'm sure I do when it comes to how I show it to my family. In the first part of the series, I asked David, hey, what attitudes have I had lately? And he answered me honestly, so I'll bravely ask this as a follow-up question. David, how do I show my attitude to you? It's honestly in those moments of great panic where the strongest attitudes come in. When you're not sure what's going to play out next, and you are very sure that it's probably not going to be good. I'm going to tell you guys that was not a solicited answer, and I had no idea that David was going to say that. But yes, you're right, David. And I'm sure a lot of times it's what I say with my mouth in those panic moments. It's the complaint. I know that's a really big one for me. So basically complaining, right, is pointing out what it was hard in the past, what's hard in a current situation or dread of an upcoming situation in the future, or even a fear of what's going to happen in the future. I know there's other ways I verbally let you know what my attitude is, but sometimes I think it's also the nonverbal, like my tone, annoyed, frustrated. And I think what I'm communicating in those times is I'm too busy for you. What I'm doing is more important than you. My tone says everything about my priorities and my priorities say everything about my heart. We all want to hide our heart, what's really inside, but it all comes out in the end, especially to our spouse, whether we want it to or not. Those are just a couple of examples of how we communicate our attitudes to our spouse. But if you're seeking to be right before the Lord with your attitude, your heart will be in the right place for change. You'll be ready to recognize what your attitude is and how you're communicating it and especially the effects that's having on your communication and your unity, and now what you can do to hit reset. We're going to talk about that more in the next part of this series. Are you in a season where you are believing truth, so you're seeing the results of that in your marriage? Or are you in a season where you're seeing the error of your ways, and now you're willing to go to God and ask Him to help you to see how you're communicating and the effects of your attitude on your marriage? Or maybe you're in a season where you're not quite ready to let God have every aspect of your heart. Wherever you're at today, God is going to meet you there. Come to him with complete honesty. He's going to hear you and he's going to answer you. Remember that passage from James chapter 4 this week. 
Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.